welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, and thank you for joining us. We have a very special program today. Uh, I'll introduce that in just a moment, but we're going to talk in the continuing series on St. Therese. But this evening, we're going to talk to somebody who's not only been to Lazoo, but who has a personal relationship with St. Therese and is going to help us understand how uh, she introduces St. Therese into her daily life, including uh, family life, and uh, I think you'll enjoy uh, listening to our special guest this evening. But before I introduce her, let me just reintroduce my co-host, Frances Harry. How are you today, Frances? I'm doing great, and it's a joy to be here with you again. Great to see you again. Of course, uh, uh, we're starting to struggle with the October weather again here in the Dayton area, so uh, a little bit of uh, stormy uh, weather today, but uh, we seem to both make it all right to the studio, so great to see you. <laughs> with allergies included. <laughs> Well, our special guest is actually somebody that Francis and I have known for at least three or four years. Uh, Colleen Sollinger is here with us today in the studio, and Colleen is also a member of our Carmelite community here in Dayton, and she's going to share with us her perspective on uh, St. Therese and a wonderful trip that she was able to make some time ago to uh, France and to visit the zoo. How are you, Colleen? I'm well, thank you. Great to see you. And now for our uh, audience to get a little uh, perspective on you, you've been involved in Carmel for how long? For about three years. So you would be in the... Temporary state, Promise temporary Formation. Temporary Promise Formation. Great. I will be making my temporary promises in November. And when did yes. you get to make this trip to uh, to Lazoo? It was in the spring of 2005. Okay, so not that long ago. Certainly your memories will uh, will be able to uh, stay with us. Uh, well, we look forward to that conversation. I want to begin this evening, as we do every week, uh, with a prayer. And, uh, Francis, I'm going to ask, as you do each week, to lead us in prayer, please. Yes, I've picked this out from one of the poems that St. Therese wrote, and the poem is entitled, How I Want to Love. That's the English translation, of course, How I Want to Love. So let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Divine Jesus, Listen to my prayer. By my love, I want to make you rejoice. You know well I want to please you alone. Deign to grant my most ardent desire. I accept the trials of this sad exile to delight you and to console your heart. But change all my works into love, O my spouse, my beloved Savior. It's your love, Jesus, that I crave. It's your love that has to transform me. Put in my heart your consuming flame, and I'll be able to bless you and love you. Yes, I'll be able to love you and bless you as they do in heaven. I'll love you with that very love with which you have loved me. Jesus' eternal word. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you, Francis. Well, uh, Colleen, for, again, for our audience's benefit, give us a little uh, biographical sketch. Now, we know you're uh, both a wife and a mother, mm-hmm. um, and you're from where originally? Originally, I'm from Chicago. I've been in Dayton for about five years now. And uh, your husband is military? Is he still military? He was military. Okay. That's why we were able to get to Lucia, because we were living in Europe at the time. Oh, great. Where were you living? We were in England. Oh, terrific. So you traveled across the Channel and and got to visit uh, France. Now, did you go to other 
What, what, let me ask you this, because you weren't involved in Carmel at the time, were you? We were not. And, and what drew you to Lazoo? Yes, I want to know that, too. <laughs> that would be St. Therese. She's long been... Um, uh, I, I feel I felt close to her for a long time. Yeah, you indicated in our conversation before that you have had sort of a devotion to uh, Therese uh, for some time. What, what do you trace that back to? You know, I would say that she's the very first saint that I ever remember being aware of. Um, as a child, sometimes the saint names like... St. Barnabas, St. Felicitas, St. Cajetan, those were all just places to me. They weren't necessarily the person who they were named after. Yeah, Remember, yeah. this is a child's perspective. So when I heard the little flower, that was a term then that kind of caught me. Little flower, what's that about? So I remember my mother explaining what it was and what it meant. And so that's how I know that she's the first person or the first saint that I ever remember being aware of. Until the roses story? Or Uh-oh. why she's called the little flower? Well, well, the little flower, I think basically comes from when her father described her as, um, I mean, she'd gone to, wasn't this the story when she went and asked about uh, wanting to join Carmel, and he picks up this little white flower, you know, and it comes out with the roots and the, the moss all around it, and explaining how, you know, that seeing her as the little white flower, and now she's going to be transplanted into this heavenly home of Carmel. Uh, I mean, that's the short story, of course. Well, you know, you, you um, relate something interesting, Colleen, because I think it's true for so many of our listeners. St. Therese is arguably the most popular saint, I, I, I think, uh, in the modern era. Of course, yeah. there are others who might vie for that uh, title, uh, depending on your perspective. But uh, St. Therese is extremely well-known by Catholics and non-Catholics alike. And she's uh, almost in a statue of her in almost every church, in yeah. Catholic churches, so she's very famous for Yeah, that. there's great devotion to her, and I think it's because of the simplicity. We've talked about this, Francis, over the last many weeks. Uh, the simplicity of her message, how approachable she is as a, as a person, uh, the simplicity of her life. And yet, as we've discussed in, in other programs, and of course next week we'll have an interesting program on purgatory, uh, and her teaching on that, uh, but the profound, uh, sublime nature of some of her teachings, uh, nonetheless, uh, engage uh, uh, thoughtful theological discussion. But um, it, it's interesting that even as a young person, you were drawn to the saint. She's the first one that you seem to have some attachment to. Uh, did your parents have a, a particular devotion to Saint Therese? Were there statues of Saint Therese in your childhood home? Or there really weren't. But I will say again, for um, when I came back home again after being away at college for a few years, and I was coming back to the church, because I'd been, you know, my secular socialist fallen away years is what I jokingly call them. <laughs> um, my mother took me to the shrine in Darien. I lived maybe about a half hour drive from there. Darien, Illinois. Right? Darien, Illinois. Sorry. Uh, by, by Chicago. By I, Chicago. <laughs> and um, that was where, I don't know, there was just something about that place that was, it was relaxing for me. It was what helped draw me back into a more um, contemplative frame of mind, you know, that you could sit in church and pray, and I was able to do that there in a way that I had never been able to do anywhere else before. And then then in the coming years, it was, uh, as a young mother, I would bring my child there, and um, after I had experienced miscarriage, I went there, and I was able, I had a great healing moment there where suddenly everything just seemed to fall into place, and I felt more at peace with the way things had worked out there. And um, so, yeah, so even as my faith started to mature, I came back to St. Therese. Well, you know, you shared uh, this idea of her popping up at different stages of your life. And my own personal experience, and Francis and I have had an ongoing dialogue about Therese, and I have shared how 
<clears throat> for me, when I first approached her, I found the simplicity, certainly, that's, that's throughout her writings, very approachable. But, but I, I put it aside, I think, as much for that. I said, oh, this is just a simple little Carmelite nun. Uh, but, but as we've continued to have our conversations, Francis, and we've gone deeper into some of her writings, uh, we've begun to realize and explore, and I hope, I hope our listeners appreciate that the profound nature of some of her teachings. Of course, she's a doctor of the Church, and she's uh, a doctor of uh, the divine science of love, and this is uh, no small thing that John Paul II elevated her to uh, that status. But I, I have my own personal experience, and I remember... Uh, being in the Air Force and being on a, uh, a TDY, as we call it, temporary duty, in some uh, um, city in the country, and uh, many of the guys on the crew that I was on wanted to go off and hang out in the bars, and for some reason that night I just didn't feel like doing it. I went and wandered through a bookstore, and I remember being taken by the picture of um, this young uh, nun on this uh, cover of a book, and I bought it. It turned out later it was the story of a soul. It was a simple paperback, like the one you actually have in front of you right now, Colleen. Um, and I started reading it, and I was taken by it, of course, but um, I've always remembered that story because I, I thought of the simplicity that I gained in that event, and for some reason I was drawn to that picture of this simple little Carmelite nun. Now, you relate in some of the conversation we've had that you've had these instances where she sort of popped up in your life. Aside from those that you've shared, are there, are there other instances where this has been true? I was going to say a funny one is another a favorite author of mine, non-Carmelite, but Catholic, is G.K. Chesterton. And so he was a favorite of mine, and imagine my surprise to find out then that when he came to the Catholic Church, where he lived in Beaconsfield, uh, I'm sorry, Beaconsfield, Buckinghamshire, in, in Britain, uh, it was St. Teresa's Church, and it had been dedicated one year, or it was built one year after her canonization, so thus one of the first in England to be dedicated to her. So it was just kind of oh. funny that here's this other author who I always liked, and you know, I didn't think there were any Carmel White connections there, and look at who his church was named after. Wow. And did he <laughs> did he write on her? Did he mention her? Do you know? I, I mean, I don't know his writings. You don't know? Uh, yeah, I'm, I've never gone there yet. I don't know. Okay. Well, I, I find this very interesting that your family decided to go on this pilgrimage. And uh, so I want people for our, our listening audience to understand, how many children did, were you bringing in tow at this time? At that time, it was four children. And how many do you have now? I have five with one more on the way. One more on the way. This is a great blessing. So so four in tow. With the youngest one was how old? She was seven months at the time. Seven months. And your oldest was how old at the time? She was ten. She was ten. Okay. So how how did you get to this point where you're going to go to visit this place where Therese grew up and you know how did that happen you know there's something that my husband and I have always done since well <clears throat> I would have to say that my the first shrine that my firstborn ever went to was the one in Darien Illinois but ever since then we always felt that it's not something you put off till your children are older until your children are teenagers or something like that just do it right from the start and so we would we worked out a system from the very beginning that we would take turns you know you go and spend your time in the chapel and I'll go outside and let them frolic in the on the grounds or something like that, or even taking older children in it for, you know, each appropriate lengths of time. And cool. so it really wasn't anything out of the ordinary. It was just, this was the saint that I had had a devotion to. One of my children, is her middle name is Therese, after this saint. And so it was just, you know, it was just a natural progression of things we had been doing all along. So I encourage families to, yes, take your children on these things. Don't wait until they're too old. Oh, I like that encouragement, because I remember as a young mother, uh, 
fearing taking them even to mass on Sunday. Yes. You know? Not that we didn't have incidents sometimes. Of course we did. But, of course we did. Know. It was like, and, and you forget that everyone else, you know, so many have been through that, and they have an understanding, compassionate heart, and yet you're really concerned about, you know, all of that big trial, but I think that it's wonderful that you took your family. So now, uh, did your husband have any kind of devotion to Therese before going? No, not any particular one. It was just, you know, we would go to that shrine when we were living in the Chicago area, and then since we were planning on going to France, it just seemed natural that we would go there, too. Yeah, so all you listeners that are out there in the Chicago land, you can go visit her there in Darien, Illinois. Uh, a wonderful shrine. I, I have had the blessing and honor of being able to go there, too, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. And, and they're expanding. Yeah. And I understand, too, that they're trying to make some renovation now of Therese's uh, home and the shrine, the basilica, and everything there in France. So uh, you can go online. I'm sure you can find out where to make some donations, but they're in need of much, much repair. So uh, for our listeners who are able and, and willing, that that is a wonderful a way to use your your money to help bring uh, uh, the repair needed so that people can continue to go on pilgrimage there. So I'm wondering, how did your kids respond to this pilgrimage? And how long were you there? How, what was that like? Give us some insight here. Right. It was just a day trip. Okay. Um, again, young children, we weren't going to... Very <laughs> prudent <laughs> day trip. I like it. It was, it was a day trip, and it, it went very well. They, um, We did make a bit of a scene, you know, having four children... Going down, walking down the street in France because they don't have a lot of children right now in France. People aren't having families with four children, but it was the most welcoming thing. They were just, you know, people just oh fawned all over the little baby and thought she was just the greatest thing, oh, and they were yes. so um, accommodating with my French, which was quite rusty and hadn't been used in any number of years. Um, so yeah, it it was fine. It went really well with them. And and so you know, you're taking them in. Um, and what are, what do they remember from this pilgrimage? Do they ever bring it up? Do they ever talk about it? Well, I think the things that we're that we remember most are those things that are mentioned in the story of the soul, where she talks about you know, we're just things that she mentions in in her remember, remembrances of childhood. You know, as far as being in the garden or when she had the miracle with the smiling the statue. smiling the statue yes. of Our Lady of the Smile. Yes. yes, we saw the room, and the statue is at her burial place right at the Carmel. So we've seen both of those things. One. Now, it is still an operating Carmel, right? It is. So you yeah. can't, there's only part that you can only go into a chapel that I, mm-hmm. as I understand they built it onto the side. It wasn't there originally, but mm-hmm. no, we couldn't see anything else that was there. Yeah. Uh, what's most memorable for you from the, uh, from the experience? You related a number of things, and I'd like you to go through some of the uh, examples about uh, the Basilica and... Uh, just different experiences you had, but what what was most memorable? What stays with you the most? What stays with me the most is being seeing something in her house that um, had always stuck out in my mind from her story because it was something that I felt was just um, very symbolic of the change or her conversion of heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on Christmas. I don't know how many people know the story. That's all right. We want to remember, so go ahead and tell us the story. <laughs> she talks about great grace that she received to mature in her spiritual life on Christmas. Um, I'll read from the story of the soul. When I got home to Le Buissonnet for midnight mass, I knew that I should find my shoes standing at the fireplace filled with presents, as I had always done since I was little, so you can see I was still treated as a baby. 
Father used to love to see how happy I was and hear my cries of delight as I took each surprise packet from my magic shoes, and his pleasure made me happier still. But the time had come for Jesus to cure me of my childishness. Even the innocent joys of childhood were to go. He allowed Father to feel cross this year instead of spoiling me, and as I was going upstairs, I heard him saying, Therese ought to have outgrown all this sort of thing, and I hope this will be the last time. This caught me to the quick, and Celine, that was her sister, who knew how very sensitive I was, whispered to me, Don't come down again just yet. You'll only go and cry if you open your presence now in front of Father. But I was not the same Therese anymore. Jesus had changed me completely. I held back my tears, and trying to stop my heart from beating so fast, I ran down into the dining room. I picked up the shoes and unwrapped my presence joyfully, looking all the while as happy as a queen. Father did not look cross anymore now, and entered into the fun of it, while Celine thought she must have been dreaming. But this was no dream. Therese had gotten back forever the strength of mind she had lost at four and a half. That glorious night, the third period of my life began, the loveliest of all, and the one in which I received the most graces. In one moment... Jesus, content with goodwill on my part, accomplished what I had been trying to do for years. And what I remember most is I was on those stairs. Oh, <laughs> you were on those stairs. I was on those stairs. Ah. <laughs> and that is something that was very special to me. I think that is the thing that means the most out of the whole trip. <laughs> so her home is is maintained. The home is still there, and so forth. I've seen pictures of it, of course, but. Uh, that's all. That's all still there and all still maintained. You can go through that. Uh, yes, it is. That, that structure. All right. Tell us some more about that home. What What did that look like? Well, you know what? That's another interesting thing too, because that is also mentioned in some of the books. Um, in the collection of letters that the family has written back and forth, it talks about. Um, it mentions how the road up to the house was narrow, and indeed it is. It just fit our minivan. It wouldn't have fit much more. Um, it mentions the oak panel dining room, and yes, the dining room is oak paneled, and it's just. It just. You know, it, it, it's all real. The things that you read, it, it really is like that. Very consistent. <laughs> you know what's interesting about that story? And, of course, Francis and I uh, did a series on uh, St. John of the Cross, and we talked about, Francis, the, the Lord's need to intervene in our lives, to detach us from the material. This is, of course, the uh, the passive night of sense, right, where we have to have the Lord's intervention to help us separate ourselves from some of these um, a childhood attachments that we have. We may take them into adulthood in many cases, but we still have these attachments. And yet, um, this young girl had the insight, of course it was later as she reflected back, but she had the insight to understand that this wasn't just a rebuff from her father or it wasn't just a, an unfortunate incident that happened to occur and an anomaly in the context of her spiritual development, but it was a central theme in her spiritual development. And yet, even at that young age, she was able to discern how the Lord was working through all of those circumstances. And I think this is such a wonderful lesson that St. Therese has to teach us about both the simplicity uh, of the way that the Lord can work, but how all of what happens to us is not accidental. It's all intended. It's all part of it. Um, if we can only peel back the, uh, the the veil, so to speak, and see what did I gain from that? How did the Lord change me as a result of that? What have I uh, acquired by way of grace? And she talks about the acquisition of grace here. Um, if we could approach the circumstances in our life, most especially the most trying ones, with that same sort of childlike appreciation for how God is working in our lives, what a profound thing it becomes to uh, you know, sort of experience the good and the bad that, that comes our way each day. Yeah, you know, I, I want to get back to what you saw, because you've been there. 
Um, were there any articles of Therese there, any, or were there like first-class relics, things that you could see up, you know, real close? Um, yeah, there were, and I have to say that that's another thing that was so special about being there. Um, we're a family who loves history. We love to go to places where amazing things happen, and we like to visit the places where, you know, uh, people that we admire, characters we admire from the past. But what's different about going on a pilgrimage is that um, we know this is a person who the church has acknowledged has made it to heaven, and so it, it's special. It's special in a different sort of way. So, um, yes, they have first-class relics. Um, the arm bone, I believe, is in the basilica. Uh-huh. Um, they have, again, that statue that smiled upon her. Did they have her hair there? They have her hair there. There's a little museum that's right near the Carmel, and, yeah, they have things like articles of clothing, and, yes, they had the hair that was shorn when she... Entered the Carmel. That is on display. I bet there. it's beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It golden. Is. Lo- is it golden or brown? It's kind of a very light brown a light or dark brown. golden. Is what okay. I thought it was. Okay, like golden highlights. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wondered because you know the book I have is a black and white picture. <laughs> right. It's harder to tell. Yes, it is. You know. So. Um, and then they have things like toys that she had played with her at her house. I think her first communion dress was there. Um, and again, just being in the room where you know the miracle happened with the smiling statue. Oh, it's yes. just those kinds of things are just... Oh, so here in this room where that smiling statue, where that grace happened, and then on the stairwell with that grace, oh my goodness. So how how did this lead you and your family into prayer, since this is a pilgrimage? Right. I would say, again, that was just all a part of, at the Basilica and at the Carmel, the whole taking turns thing, bringing children in to pray before the Blessed Sacrament. And then, you know, <laughs> going out and relieving the parent who's out with a more rambunctious right. of the crew. Okay, so they, so they're coming there before the Blessed Sacrament, and and are they are, are you seeing them, uh, you know, really grasping something from all of this? Well, you know what, no more so than any other place that they've been. I think that that's part of the thing that, that also got me about being in Lystia is that you wouldn't have guessed. Yes, this church, this street, this house is what could cause somebody to suddenly be proclaimed a doctor of the church someday. It's really rather ordinary. Oh, I love that you brought that point up because I this is my whole thing that this is an an ordinary situation lived in an extraordinary way. This is an ordinary possibility, an ordinary life that we all have that we can also follow her in imitation and live in an extraordinary way. Absolutely. I think that's the importance of what Therese has to teach us. And, Francis, again, you and I have talked about this over the last couple of weeks, is the simplicity of her life is is uh, an example for us that the simple, ordinary, um, mundane, in many cases, events of our lives are not mere accident, not mere, uh, you know, something, merely something to be discarded, but must be viewed in the context of our overall relationship with our Lord and Savior. And they are means for sanctification. For her, everything was a means for sanctification. She didn't let anything uh, get wasted, whether, again, it was trial or or joy. Uh, somehow she understood the way that the Lord was working in her heart and in her soul to bring her closer to Him. And I think when you go there and you see it with your own eyes and you see that it's ordinary, ordinary toys and ordinary home and all of that, it it really does give us inspiration, you know, because I think we get caught up thinking the saints are so far separated from us that sainthood is impossible for us. And yet, the Lord makes it possible for each and every one of us if all that we do is respond in love. And not only that, I think that's how most of us get to heaven. Most of us are not going to be the great 
saints did you hear of? I was noticing during when I, we were doing the novena leading up to her feast day, I, it suddenly occurred to me how many big saints or big feast days there are right around her own feast day. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, Francis the, Francis the Guardian Angels. The Guardian Angels. Uh, St. Therese. Yeah. <laughs> and you get to her, and she was not well-known in her life. She was just, you know, the cloistered... Little nun. Yes, the little nun. But again, that is how most of us are going to get there, is by the small things. The, the little things that seemingly don't make a difference, those are the things that are so important, and that is how we are going to get there. And that is why she is such an inspiration to just the ordinary people. And I think that's true. I think it's why she's an inspiration to so many Catholics. And as I said before, even non-Catholics, of course, are very attracted to St. Therese. Uh, St. Teresa, I'm sorry, is who I meant a moment ago. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to pick up on this theme of not only the simplicity of St. Therese and the uh, wonderful way in which she took all the events of her life and led, uh, allowed that to lead her to sanctification. But also, what does she have to teach us about how do we deal with our lives, the trials of family and raising children and all the rest of it? What does this great saint have to teach us? Again, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Welcome back, and our special guest this evening is Colleen Sollinger. Colleen is 
uh, a member of our Carmelite community here in Dayton. Yeah, the secular order of Discalced Carmelite, community of our mother of good counsel. <laughs> I have to put that in there. <laughs> yes, we have to get our plug in there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and uh, of course, uh, Colleen's had the great fortune of being able to travel to the zoo and visit the uh, birthplace and uh, where uh, St. Therese uh, of Lazoo uh, lived and the uh, Carmel that she lived in, uh, her home, and she's sharing with us both the uh, the uh, actual experience of that, but more importantly, the spiritual lessons and insights that she's gained from that experience. And this is an experience, Colleen, as you shared at the beginning of our program, uh, that happened long before you entered Carmel, about uh, three years or so, four years perhaps before you entered right. Carmel. I'm interested in that transition. What led you to seek out Carmel? You related the childhood experience of, of being introduced to Therese, but what later in life, uh, some three, three and a half years ago now, led you to Carmel? For a long time, I knew that I was looking for something to deepen my relationship with my faith, and um, it was just... I, I think now, perhaps all of that time, she was praying for me. <laughs> she knew where I was going to end up. Thank you, Therese. <laughs> we love having Colleen in our community. <laughs> and so it, that was just a, that was another funny little coincidental, if anybody believes in those kinds of things, where um, I was, whatever I was struggling with at a particular time, I was praying about it before Mass began, and the thought popped into my head, you know who has the answer? St. Teresa of Avila. I've got to get that book out again and read that one. And then Father happened to mention that in his homily that day, so I thought, oh, right, okay, I, I guess that's my sign that it, it is right. And on the way home in the car, I opened up the bulletin and saw the notice that the Carmelites were meeting there that afternoon at my own parish. So that was kind of the wake-up call for me that perhaps that's where I was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and Frances has her, her perspective. I've related many times my own experience was... Uh, reading John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross, which is what really led me to Carmel. And for the same uh, sort of motivations, I was looking for that deeper relationship, what led to our sanctification. And I remember reading uh, St. John of the Cross's The Dark Knight and then The Ascent of Mount Carmel on a trip to California, one on the way out, one on the way back. I don't remember which one where. but uh, And I immediately, when I landed, said, I've got to find a Carmelite community. <laughs> um, and so I have no doubt that uh, St. John, who I'd read many years before, uh, also interceded and drew me into into the Carmelite experience. But much like you relate, I was looking for that uh, deeper relationship and was confident that Carmel was where I was being drawn. Now, um, you've related a couple incidences where St. Therese has played a central role in your life and where you felt comfortable turning to her. I think this is such an important message for our listeners to realize the value that we have in the communion of saints the value that we have, not only in patron saints, our special saints, but, uh, you know, St. Joseph, who teaches us about fatherhood. Uh, we have individual saints who give us certain um, perspectives on uh, whatever unique challenge we might face in our life. But for you, what is it about St. Therese? What's the unique nature of your relationship? What, what causes you to turn to her most especially? For a long time, I think, even before I knew that there was such a thing as secular Carmelites, I was attracted to the idea of making a sac you know, the little sacrifices like she used to do, that I found that that was the way to further my spirituality. Um, when you read her different stories in the story of the soul about what she, would do, what she was doing when she first got to Carmel in terms of how she was going to make these small little sacrifices, um, 
the examples she used were things that we can use even in our everyday lives. Can you give them give us some idea of what those were? All right. Um, there's one story she told about there was kind of there was a curmudgeonly nun in the community, and somebody had to help her to get down to her meal time and well, even getting there was hard and sitting down and getting her food ready to go and helping her eat. And I don't think anybody wanted to do it because she said she humbly <laughs> volunteered to do it. So, you know, this is difficult because the woman would, you know, say, oh, you're not holding, or you're not putting my chair right, or you, you jostled me when you removed me. And throughout the whole thing, what she tried to do was just smile and show love and just be patient with her. And we all have our can think of difficult people in our lives, whether it's a family member or a friend or a coworker, or maybe it's even just somebody that you meet, you know, a one-off, some cranky person in a grocery store somewhere. And we can treat the person in the same way she did. Now, she kind of got a little confirmation that she was doing the right thing because a change occurred when she anticipated the woman's needs. Instead of waiting for her to ask her to do something, she noticed she was having a hard time cutting her food. So she just went and did it without being asked. Mm, anticipated. Yes, yes, she anticipated it. And, and she, this is a quote from her. She said, as she never told me she wanted me to do it, she was touched. And it was this unlooked-for act of kindness which won her heart completely. And we can do that. Who knows that if you're nice to a cranky person in the post office, you might have made their day a better you know, better for them just by an unasked for act of kindness. Oh, yes. And I, I think I remember in the movie, um, the one called St. Therese, um, which I really enjoyed. Uh, I remember the scene where she's going to help this nun. And then she's bringing her in the hallway, and they're kind of going crooked because <laughs> uh, Therese is kind of like in a swoon, kind of just enjoying. And, and she's she's kind of lifting this nun up into some joy for a change, you know, although the nun was can't move very right. well. Um, but but Therese was so attentive, and yet I think that, that God rewarded her with this great grace of love, you know, as she was walking down that hallway. That's right. She did receive consolation that time. It didn't always happen because it's not always going to happen for us. There was another one where she, anecdote that she relates, where during prayer time there was a, a nun who it was fidgeting, like, I don't know, jingling her rosary or, you know, clinking against the chair or something like that. And, um, you know, enormously distracting. Who among us cannot complain of trying to get something done when you're being, dist- you know, you're trying to, whether it's prayer or paying a bill or trying, to, you know, just reading a book, people distract you. And what she ended up doing in this situation was, um, she says, my prayer was nothing more than the prayer of suffering. Um, She decided then to focus on the sound as if it were a heavenly concert, and that's what she tried to do. She didn't get the music this time. Instead, she just had to... She made her own. (laughs) She had to, wait, I've got the quote, spend the rest of the time offering it up to Jesus. So, you know, we're not always going to get that heavenly music, and then we just have to offer it up. Who knows how many times in a day when we're annoyed that we could have offered that up as a gift and helped a soul in purgatory or something, and we missed it because we were just... We complain about it yes, usually. We, we usually, you know, why are you bothering me? <laughs> you know, we're told uh, so oftentimes uh, in, in, um, in by the saints that there will be those uh, opportunities, unfortunately, that will be revealed to us that we've missed. And, and perhaps fortunately, if we are given the grace of being shown that while we're here, uh, that throughout the course of a day, a week, a month, what have you, oh, you've missed that opportunity. You could have been patient. You could have used that, as you say, Colleen, so rightly. Uh, in fact, uh, Francis and I will be doing a show on purgatory next week. 
um, and, and the sacrifices that we can make, the investment that we can make in relieving the suffering of uh, our brothers and sisters who are uh, going through their final uh, purification is significant if it's found in every one of those incidences in our life. And this is the brilliance of Teresa, that she could find that in the simplest, most mundane, as I said before, circumstances of life, whereas we so often, I think, I know I can accuse myself of this, we go looking for the big thing. Oh, I need to do this, I need to write something, or I need to speak, or I need to whatever, and Oftentimes, by consequence, we end up missing the little things. Right. <laughs> I this think is... the Lord's going to challenge us on this. Certainly, He's going to challenge yeah, us. Yeah, what a what a wonderful insight here. This value of small sacrifices. I mean, I I think of one that uh, a priest pointed out to me about how she never sat back in her chair. She always sat forward. So she she denied herself that consolation, that comfort, and that's a, something that nobody would notice. So it was that hidden sacrifice, which is so beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. And you had, I think you had one other one you were going to relate to us here that, uh, the that wash, is an example right, of the from, wash from her early years. This one, again, we've talked about an example where she got a consolation, another one where she just had it offered up. This was one where she ended up trying to see the sense of humor in the situation. She talks about how um, while doing the wash, a careless sister kept splashing her with dirty water, of course, she found it exasperating, and she could have rolled her eyes or sighed or done something to show her displeasure. But rather than let anybody know about it, she tried hard to enjoy the splashing, and then she came to see the humor in it. And this one, I don't know, it makes me think of shopping. I don't like shopping. <laughs> and, in fact, grocery shopping, I always end up in the slowest line. Behind all the slowest people. <laughs> behind the person with the, the, commissary. Ex- yeah, the expired coupons or somebody who's got the wrong merchandise for the coupon. It always happens. That's, or that's or what me, I do. I'm stooping down at the bottom and people are trying to get around me and I don't see them because I'm so focused on what I'm trying to get. There you go. That happens too. So what I try to do then, rather than, because there was a time in my life where I would have rolled my eyes and sighed at the person and then perhaps have been less friendly with the cashier for not just, you know, moving the person through a little faster. But if if you just you know, smile at the person anyway, kind of laugh it off and say, oh, here it is again. This is my issue, and here I am, stuck in the line again, because it just happens to be that, you know, every other one is always whizzing past me. And so (laughs) then, you know, then when you get to the cashier, a sympathetic smile to them, too, because it can't be easy for them to deal with the more difficult customers. So you have, you've come through after the difficult customer left, and you cheer up them a little bit, you know? A breath, a breath of fresh air. <laughs> Beautifully put. And I'm remembering the one story about how um, there was a task being offered that, you know, the novices wanted to do, and so they were taken off their aprons, and Therese purposely takes her apron off slowly, and the other one beat her, but Therese wanted her to beat her because she was going to offer this up. You know, yeah. instead of doing as fast as she could so that she could get to do the task, she was going to go slow. And, of course, she got reprimanded. Well, if you weren't so slow, Therese, you would have got to do this. But Therese, you know, she didn't, that didn't hurt her because she knew inside. But she didn't even justify it. She didn't go back and say, well, I did this on purpose. I'm like, oh, Therese, you're really, re- you're really getting to me now. <laughs> to be quiet and offer that hidden sacrifice, how beautiful! And these is little things that we can do day in and day out, are they not? That's right, you know. And in fact, it makes me think of. Wait, I've got another quote from her here. This is when she was writing to a sister of hers. She was saying, "I prefer the monotony of sacrifice. What a joy to be so hidden that nobody thinks of you, to be unknown even to persons with whom you live." And I think about how many times where I've you know, 
said to myself, oh, I'm going to be so virtuous and pick up after some family member without them knowing about it. But then I felt like I had to somehow drop the hint that I had done this <laughs> virtuous thing. But no, 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 that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be unknown, even to the people who are closest to us. Well, oh. we did a show on uh, a program on uh, Therese uh, sometime earlier in this series, Francis, where we talked about um, her really having masked the suffering that she went through and not just uh, these little sacrifices, which in and of themselves, we may say, well, boy, that, you know, big deal. So she didn't get upset at somebody, their rosary, right? Mm-hmm. The clicking of the rosary. But try it sometime. Oh, right? yeah, because you're, you're conquering your self-will. Yeah. And you're choosing the harder task that St. John of the Cross, I'm sure, was uh, trying to direct. You know, and she would have studied St. John of the Cross. Uh, and, you know, he's got that saying about choose the hardest path or, or choose the least desirable. Yeah, and we think that that may mean, and this is, again, such a wonderful um, a teaching from Therese, we think that that may mean, oh, these great ascetical practices, and I have to undergo great penances, and I have to do these yeah, you know, we get, daunting tasks. And we get so proud of what we can yeah. do, and it's the we, and then, we're, then yeah. we've missed the boat, haven't we? We, we may fall victim, and, and uh, again, St. John teaches us, we may well fall victim by virtue of that, to letting that uh, uh, penance become sort of the the object in and of itself. And Therese wouldn't have fallen into that trap uh, clean. I think she was protected from that because it wasn't the things that she went looking for. She even says, I wasn't good at the big practices. She says, I wasn't particularly good at fasting. I fell asleep when I was supposed yeah, to be Yeah, let's talk about that, fall asleep. How does that, you know, how do you see that, especially... Uh, with children. <laughs> you know what, especially because I'm pregnant now, earlier in the summer, it was very hard to get to some of the the, the prayer time that I enjoy because I was just so tired in the morning and so tired at the end of the evening. But again, there is where my consolation came, was knowing that she's been there and she's shown me the way already that it's a matter of, okay, I couldn't get this done today, but even though I was feeling horrible, I still read to my four-year-old. Or even though I was feeling horrible and just wanted to get home, I let the person, you know, at the stop sign go before me. All those kinds of things. You know, there are countless options every day that we have where we can do these just ordinary things with love for God, because this is my gift for you, God. I can't read, you know, 50 pages of of the spiritual reading today, but I'm going to try and be a decent person when I'm behind the wheel of the car today. You know, yes, those good. very ordinary things. Very good. And 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 when you're too tired to do your prayers, Therese would fall asleep, and she wouldn't be all upset about not being able to meet, you know, what she thought was, you know, the best thing to do. And so she said, well, you know, even your parents love you when you're asleep, and and some, even the ducks. Yeah. <laughs> And even doctors, when they operate you and they put you to sleep, you know, that's when they do their their best surgery. So she would, you know, see that the Lord was working on her even in her sleep. And I, I just like, oh, thank you, Lord, for Therese sharing that for us. This all goes back to her central theme, though, of spiritual childhood, doesn't it? She had um, great confidence. We've, we've uh, had this conversation, Francis. In fact, I think it was last week. Uh, the great confidence that Therese had that the Lord was going to work with her, that the end was not based upon her actions. It wasn't based upon her doing the right thing in all circumstances or her, uh, you know, again, taking on great sacrifices, but it was really dependent on her ability to break her will, absolutely. And these little things oftentimes 
are what John of the Cross might have said were the little threads that we couldn't sometimes let go, but they mm-hmm. restra- they, they restrained uh, the bird from flying freely. She went after those little threads. She went after every one of those little um, uh, limitations of freeing her will and breaking her will in ways that left her very free to be completely dependent upon the Lord to do the work. And it's it's a wonderful teaching about uh, how, again, uh, the, the, the simple things in life become so important to her and so important to us, and this is her great message to us. Not only that, she says that she discovered that once you give everything up for God, you get it back. This is another quote from Story of the Soul. I'm only too glad now that I denied myself from the beginning of my spiritual life, for I enjoy already the reward promised to those who fight with courage. I no longer feel that I must deny in my heart all consolation, for it is fixed on God. It has loved Him alone, and this has gradually so developed it that it is able to to love those whom He loves with a tenderness incomparably deeper than any selfish, barren affection. She got it back again. Yeah, and you know... The interesting thing about uh, Therese, this, you, you made reference, I think, to something heroic, and she had great, um, uh, oh, uh, what would you call them, folks who she had great admiration for. One of those women, of course, was St. Joan of Arc. Right. And, and she saw in St. Joan of Arc the, the, the triumphant, the, the, the uh, courage, and she wanted to be like St. Joan of Arc, right? I mean, she wanted to go off and and conquer the missionaries, and she wanted to give all for the Lord. You see this in her writings. And she talks about this idea of warfare, actually, and she wants to be a warrior, and she wants to give all. And, in fact, she did exactly that. Yeah, with and her. she did it on a battlefield that, quite frankly, is presented to each and every one of us every single day, but we fail to see the battlefield. We skip over the battlefield. She did everything that St. Joan of Arc did, but she did it inside a convent with little details of her life. What a remarkable, uh, you know, idea. And we've talked, Francis, about how she took spiritual childhood and elevated it, uh, I'm sorry, normal childhood, and elevated it to a spiritual childhood, dependence on God. She's also taken the great heroic figures that were uh, the people she admired, and she's taken their courage and their example, and she's put it in the context of a simple little nun living in a Carmelite monastery in France for a limited period of time, and yet raised to the the heights of the altar of the church uh, by the heroic undertaking of dealing with the little things in her life. Yeah, I'm thinking of uh, how she liked St. Mary Magdalene, too, you know, the great sinner, and she's like, well, how can I do that? Because, you know, here the priest had told her that, you know, she had never sinned. And so, you know, wrap wrap your finger around that and figure out how, or wrap your mind around that and figure out how, how to work with that. And yet here she comes up with an answer for that. I marveled at this. Um, she says, well, God loved me so much that he gave me a grace in advance, and in advance prevented me from all of those falls. So I'm even more indebted than she. And I'm like, oh, that was a genius. Beautiful, yes. Genius. <laughs> radical dependence. We talked about radical dependence, and she acknowledged, you know, she took the teaching from uh, St. Teresa, of course, the, the mother of the reform of our order, and she understood very well that central theme of humility how important humility was to her acknowledgement of her dependence on god and that was a critical aspect of her ability uh to focus on each of these little things well i'm wondering colleen are you planning a trip back to the zoo anytime soon i would love to go anytime if you're out there honey listening let's go back (laughs) 
Well, I don't know that uh, that that's going to be in the immediate future. Of course, you have some other responsibilities. Now, when are you due? In January. In January. And you said before the show you've not determined yet uh, uh, the sex of the baby. No, but, uh, we like to be surprised. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned one of your children is named uh, Teresa? Teresa? Um, Madeline Therese is Therese. her name, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do your children have a, a particular devotion? Any of your children have a t- particular devotion to uh, St. Therese? Actually, Madeline has read The Story of a Soul. She's wow. only 13 now, but she's already read it any number oh, of times. This wow. is her copy, by the way, that I've got oh, here with me tonight. Wonderful. I borrowed it from her. Yes. And, and what uh, what have you talked with her about it? What, did she, what is her perspective on it? Well, I think even just as a family, what we try to focus on are those little sacrifices that you can make for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've noticed mothers, fathers pay attention to this, that children will follow your lead. When I'm doing my best to try and do things for people without them knowing about it, I notice that the kids do too. Suddenly somebody has unloaded the dishwasher and I didn't even have to ask and they they aren't taking credit for it and things like that. So kids do follow your lead in these things. Oh, that is so awesome. So that's how she's helped our family. And I, I have to say that a year ago when I had asked Colleen if she was willing to help us with the Novena to Therese, every night we did a reflection along with the Novena prayers. And um, I asked Colleen, would you be willing? And Colleen was a little bit shyer at that time. She's she's growing in confidence, thanks, <laughs> to, thanks be to Therese, I'm sure. Um, and I remember, um, well, i got to bring the relic of Therese to your home. And so I was dropping it by her home, and your family, your children, were very excited about having this relic. Can you share a little bit about what that was like? Well, it's just, you know, we, we know who it is. We know that it's, it's the first-class relic, and they're joining our home. And And the way I've explained it to them before is, you know, We've been there. Now they're here in Ohio visiting us. So. Yes, <laughs> Teresa is visiting you, and, and and you could see the joy in their face when you know we were at the door, and I I marveled at that. I thought, oh, this is wonderful. Um, I, I'm interested in asking whether or not, or understanding whether or not the family, the Martin family, has had any sort of impact. I know, uh, of course, we've had the uh, the pronouncement of the blesseds of both of Teresa's parents here most recently. Uh, did did that come up in the visit, in the conversation after the visit around uh, Therese's family? You talked about the incident with her father, of course, but any other aspects that affect your family today? Well, in all honesty, we haven't gotten to know the rest of the family as well as we have, but it, it does make it more real, again, seeing something, you know, the, my children haven't yet been exposed to the letters that the family have written back and forth, those ones. Um, so that's just more of a personal thing for me, that it, it's so much more real now that, oh, look, these names, and I, you know, again, because they refer to things that I have seen in places I have been. Right, and, you know, I think there's a new book out that is, are, uh, is a compilation of the letters between um, her mother and her father. I yes, think it's is. called Call, I don't it? have that Call yet, to Deeper Love. Is that what it was? I can't remember the, the title. Uh, I remember seeing it. I don't remember the title okay. either. But is it, I think it's ICS as well. I think it? it is, yes. No, I don't think the the one I'm thinking of is not the ICS one, but but uh, I I think it's on a, a website, TheresaofLisieux.com or .org or you know one of those, but it's TheresaofLisieux.something. something, and um, it's on there. But I thought, oh, to read their letters to each other, you know how insightful, and you know they were great parents, and you know uh, raised these, you know all these girls that they had. They each one had a vocation. And what a, a gift to the Lord that was. So you really shared with us um, some very inspirational things. Number one, the importance of bringing up your children in a faith-filled environment. And then 
you know, stepping out and taking them on these pilgrimages and, and letting them have more of a hands-on experience, so to speak, of, of these saints. And then with Therese in particular, this little way of these hidden sacrifices or the giving up of your own will, um, is there anything you can talk about from your perspective uh, with your visit there and your own personal growth in Carmel about this uh this persistence and this uh, great trust in God's merciful love. I think that's just one of the most amazing things is um, how much confidence she has in the fact that Jesus is going to accept all these things from us. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things is that we need to develop that confidence to don't think that the things, the little things that we are doing or offering don't matter because we need to take her lead and realize that they do matter. Um, a favorite quote that I found was, All my strength lies in prayer and sacrifice. They are my invincible arms, and I know from experience that I can conquer hearts with these more surely than I can with words. Mm-hmm. Prayer and sacrifice. Beautifully put. What well, great weapons. <laughs> well, Colleen, we want to thank you very much for joining us this evening. I know you had some trepidation about coming to share your story with us, but you've done a wonderful job of opening up uh, not only uh, the location of Lazoo, but also... Uh, Therese's experience of uh, childhood and and what she has to share with us today. Uh, So many great lessons to share with us. And I'm going to ask, Francis, if you wouldn't mind uh, closing us in prayer. I think you have another prayer from uh, Therese. Yes, and uh, this one is actually written by um, Knox. Um, I forget his first name. It was from his autobiography, but it was... Ronald. Ronald Ronald Knox. Thank you, thank you. And this was, uh, you know, of course... Uh, from his uh, being influenced by Therese. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh Jesus, I am, too, I am too poor a creature to do anything wonderful, but I must be allowed the folly of hoping that these eagles of yours, my elder brothers, win me the grace I need, that of flying upwards towards the Son of Love on the eagle wings, you and you only can lend me. Amen. 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 Well, a quick programming note. Francis and I will be with you again next week, um, and we'll be doing an interesting program on Therese's teaching on purgatory. A number of uh, very esteemed theologians and and Carmelites uh, have done some uh, significant work on understanding Therese's teaching on purgatory. So you won't want to miss that program. Please join us next week. And again, uh, Colleen, thank you for being with us, and thank you listeners for listening in to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless.